0: My and Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and in this video I want to address the idea of Morgoth and Sauron and why their physical forms became kind of static, whereas most of the Valar and Maiar are able to change their form at will, and specifically in the context of Sauron because he has a few key characteristics that we pick up on in the books which become interesting points of comparison for this because they show that he really is incapable, I think, of changing his physical form in a number of significant ways, but it also ties into some other interesting aspects of Sauron as a physical being, which is very different in the books versus the movies, and I'll get into that a little bit. But what sparked this conversation, or this idea rather, was a conversation I was having with David Rowe on Twitter David Rowe is the author of The Proverbs of Middle-Earth, which is a really cool book I've done a review on. I'll link to my review in the comments below. Not the comments, the description below. And you should totally pick that book up if you're interested in kind of a cultural analysis of the peoples of Middle-Earth via their different sayings and proverbs. It's a really cool book. Uh, but he also has a really interesting thread going on Twitter where he has, like, if, if you like his... Comment He will give an opinion on Lord of the Rings, and a lot of the stuff he puts in there is really interesting. So go find that, because it's really interesting. And that's where this came up, was he had this idea of Sauron actually has nine fingers because he chooses not to regenerate that, that last finger that Isildur cut off, and that was how Isildur took the ring in the book. He didn't cut off like all the fingers on his hand like he does in the movie. He just cut the one finger off and took the ring that way. And he was theorizing that Sauron, you know, maintained that as a way of remembering his defeat, which kind of fuels him to then do better the next time. I have a difference of opinion with him on this particular issue, and there's no way to prove who's right here, so I'm not trying to make this an argument with him. I'm just going to explain my theory why I believe it, and how that relates to some other things that we learn about both Morgoth and Sauron in terms of their physical appearances. So let's take a look and see what we can make out from what the text tells us on this topic. So of course one of the things that we've already mentioned here is that Sauron has nine fingers. You wouldn't ever get this from the movie, because in the movie Sauron is apparently just a giant flaming eyeball, which is not at all the case in the book. That That's not true. In fact, we know because Gollum tells us that the Dark Lord has nine fingers on his hand. Gollum straight up tells Frodo and Sam this because Gollum has been in the presence of Sauron himself being tortured. So Gollum has actually seen this. Now, there are a number of ways you could take this. You could take David Rowe's approach on what the you know, his his choosing to remain in that form. My approach is is different, and I'll explain it. But another thing that came up in this conversation is the idea of the eye. Because the eye is a big conversation topic in the book as well. It's not just the movie that gives us this imagery of the eye. the The livery of the soldiers of Mordor is a red eye, a single red eye, and there is... I don't remember how many references there are, but there are a number of references to the idea of an eye seeming to search for or to be, you know, kind of impressing its will or its gaze upon characters. And there's a lot of stuff about Sauron's eye. We do get references, and I forget exactly where this reference is, but there is a line to the effect that few could withstand his gaze or his eye. I don't remember which term it actually uses but that idea there is not so much that he has just this one eye that he is, you know, therefore only one eye is represented. It's, it's, I think it's kind of more representative of the same idea of the all-seeing eye on the pyramid type thing. The idea that Sauron, you know, sees a lot, and of course with the acquisition of the Palantir that was in Minas Ithil, now Minas Morgul, he of course sees a lot more even than he did before. But also just the the power of his, you know, the inner force of his spirit is also enough to just daunt lesser beings. And Morgoth was very much in the same vein as well. Morgoth was, before he kind of dissipated his own power, the strongest of all created beings. And he could daunt even others of the Valar before he, you know, became weaker. And so this idea, and Sauron and, and not even just... Spiritual beings like the Valar and Maiar have kind of this same thing, too. Like, Gandalf and Denethor are said to kind of have a staring contest where it seems like there's a light going in between their eyes that Pippin can almost see, and it's like they're fencing with each other visually. And, of course, Gandalf may be a Maya, but Denethor is not. He's a man. A Numenorian of descent, but... A man, nonetheless. So there's definitely this idea that recurs in multiple contexts. So there's the eye idea there, which I don't think has anything to do with Sauron's physical appearance. I don't think he has just one eye. I think that's just really more about the symbolic imagery. So what do we know about his physical body? Two things, primarily. What Gollum tells us, that he only has nine fingers, which, of course, has all kinds of potential parallel things with Frodo, but we don't need to get into that for this video. The other thing that we know is that after his destruction in the fall of Numenor, he is no longer capable of taking a fair form. He can no longer seem beautiful and therefore therefore good. He always looks kind of dark, bad, ugly, and therefore evil, which of course you could get into all kinds of different you know things about Why is dark and ugly always bad, and why is light and beauty always good? Ignore all that. That goes deep into a lot of Catholic theology, probably, um, which I also don't want to get into in this video. But the point is, we know that he cannot take a fair form, and we know that he only has nine fingers. I think those two things are related. And the reason I think they're related is because we also know that Morgoth, when he took physical form eventually reached the point where he could no longer take a fair form as well. He kind of got stuck in the Dark Lord form. The dark, great-size, imposing, menacing figure that we think of when we think of Dark Lords. whatever, However vague or specific that is, Morgoth gets trapped in that form. And once he gets trapped in that form, there's no changing it. And so he always appears... He can't really even pretend, effectively, to be a good guy anymore. Sauron begins his career in the Second Age, which is kind of his second career, being a pretend good guy. He pretends like he's just trying to help the elves learn and improve their own arts and crafts. And he's doing it for his own purposes, of course, but he's being deceitful. He can no longer use that specific deceit anymore. So, I think part of this is related to the idea of, you know, it's it's almost in a sense a punishment and a uh, reflection of, not a punishment in the sense that Eru Iluvatar is going, now that you've crossed this line, Sauron, I'm not going to let you fool people anymore. I don't think it's that. It's more like a natural consequence type punishment in the sense that Sauron becomes that which he you know, becomes permanently in form that which he is inwardly because he has just pushed himself to that limit. You know, he's gone so far down that road that he can no longer really do anything else. His inward self can no longer disguise itself in a fair form because he's just gone so far. And the metaphysics of how that works, that's, Tricky, And I don't think I could necessarily explain that. I don't know that Tolkien ever thought very hard about how the metaphysics of that works either, but I think something like that has to be the case. And the reason this is important is because we do have to answer some questions about why this is. One of the interesting things about Morgoth is he has a physical fight with Fingolfin. And Fingolfin wounds him seven times, and one of those times, at least, is on the foot, and he goes lame after that. And after he kills Fingolfin, Thorondor, the Great Eagle, intervenes before he can desecrate Fingolfin's body and rescues Fingolfin, but in the process, scratches Morgoth's face, and now Morgoth has a scar on his face. And he can't get rid of that either. He can't get rid of his limp, he can't get rid of the scars on his face. He's got these seven wounds that he's carrying around with him forever. And I can't imagine Morgoth would really want to limp for the rest of his time in Middle-earth. That just... That doesn't make any sense. So I think... This is why I think that Sauron, when he comes back and has nine fingers on his hand hands, it's not by choice. I think that is necessary. A thing that is not changeable by him in any way. And the reason I... ...think that's important is because it tells us something about how earthbound they are. One of the things that we learn from, you know, Morgoth's Ring, the 10th the book of the History of Middle-Earth series, is that part of what ties Morgoth to his physical form is the idea that he has dissipated a lot of his power into Arda itself. Be that, you know, the creatures of Arda, the orcs, the evil animals that he, you know, that serve him... Or even just the stuff of Arda itself, the earth, the trees, you know, the mountains that get piled up over the the three towers of the Thangarodrim. There's just some of his power is in Arda, period. And so some of that is limiting to him. And the analogy Tolkien draws is that all of Arda was Morgoth's ring, meaning it's analogous to Sauron's ring, into which he poured much of his own power. The reason I think this is really significant is it's precisely after Sauron makes the ring and is then destroyed in the fall of Numenor, that's the first time he gets destroyed after he makes his own ring, that's when he can no longer change. And it's because he has put his power into a physical object. He is now tied. He can't undo it anymore. His Part of his power and essence is in a physical thing that he cannot just undo, and therefore his physical form is stuck for whatever reason. And interestingly enough, he goes into some additional detail on precisely this topic in the New Nature of Middle-earth book, because he goes into some discussion of Melian and how it was that she came to be tied to Middle-earth, and he goes into some detail about, well, you know, marrying Thingol, first of all, kind of does that because it she has to have an incarnate form to, you know, have, you know, relations with an incarnate being. And then when she gives birth to and even more so that ties her to the physical world because, I mean, like, that is a physical product of your own body now out there wandering the world. And he kind of gives a little extra context to the whole story of... When Thingol dies, Melian then just goes back to Valinor. which in the Silmarillion as written, you can kind of read that and go, that seems kind of a jerk move. You know, you were protecting Doriath all this time, and now your husband dies and you just abandon it to whatever. But Tolkien in The Nature of Middle-earth kind of contextualizes this and says, after Luthien had already died, and been brought back to life by the Valar, but that's another story, and then Thingol, her husband, dies, her last... Physical connection to Arda has been severed, and so she is no longer there, you know, in in that sense. She can no longer do the things that she used to do, and one of the things that she was capable of doing because of her ties to the physical world was the girdle of Melian, and therefore, without that physical connection to Arda itself, she no longer has the power to do that sort of thing, and so it's not that she just in her extreme sadness, decided, eh, to heck with Middle-earth. She literally lost the ability, you know, at least that's one way to interpret what he's saying, to do what she had been doing to protect Doriath, and therefore, eh, well, might as well go back to Valinor, nothing left for me to do here. Um, so there's a, a very direct idea of, you know, if you tie yourself to physical things in the world... You become less spiritual yourself and more tied to physical form, and so Morgoth did this, Melian did this, and Sauron did this. Now, the one interesting point that David raised in this conversation was, but why would it matter that he got his ring, his finger cut off, since it happened after he was already dead? You know, the the way the story reads, Gilgalad and Elindil you know, killed Sauron, and Sauron killed them kind of simultaneously, and then after the fact, Isildur cuts the ring off and takes it. Now, there's also a line, and I can't remember where specifically this is, but I'm pretty sure it's in one of either the Lord of the Rings or the Silmarillion, where Isildur, you know, says something to the effect of, am I not the one who defeated Sauron? Uh, implying that him cutting off the ring is kind of what did it. And I need to do a video on this topic at some point and get all the references together and really look at it because it's an interesting topic, you know, who actually killed Sauron and how. Because in the movie, of course, it's just a simple, oh, I cut his finger off and he's he's down. Eh, that's definitely not true in the book. That That's definitely not how it happened. But you could read it, I think, if I'm remembering all the lines correctly, you could possibly read it as saying that Gilgalad and Elendil defeated Sauron, but Sauron was still kind of hanging on to life and, you know, still had a tenuous connection to, you know, physical form and wasn't totally gone. And it was only after Isildur separated him from his ring that he was just like, okay, and kills over and he's actually dead and has to rebuild his bodily form from scratch. Let's assume for sake of argument, though, that that's not the case, and that Sauron was good and dead when Isildur took that ring and cut his finger off to do it. I still think it makes perfect sense, because if you think about it, when Isildur cuts his finger off, that body is still Sauron's body. It hasn't disintegrated. It hasn't, you know, it's no, it's not like it became somebody else's body or just an inert piece of mass, it's still Sauron's corpse. You know, even though his spirit may no longer be in it or animating it, it's still his. And so, to the extent that he can no longer change his body, quote-unquote, he's, you know, it, that body is his, and therefore he can no more make changes than he can make changes to the fact that he's ugly, dark, and scary. So, the fact that he gets his hand, his finger cut off is a permanent damage to his body, because it's his body, in some sense. You know, because whether his spirit was still in it, or outside of it, or whatever, he didn't have another body that he could just, you know, manifest whenever he wanted to. So that was still his body. Whatever that was, that corpse laying there on the the slopes of Mount Doom, still his. So any damage done to it, you know, that would have been damage that was going to be permanent. Now, you could say, well, but then that doesn't make sense, because then what if somebody cut off Sauron's head? Wouldn't he just come back as a headless whatever? Uh, I mean, I think there's ways around that. For one, the act of cutting off the head is really just an act of killing, and therefore, you know, that's the head can reattach. A finger can reattach, too, but it has to reattach. It's still a separate thing, right? So you still have to manifest it again. Also, the other thing is, Sauron being a spiritual being who is manifesting a body, not one who just has a body, could he walk around without a head? I think probably he could. Unlike an elf or a man who actually needs the brain and the neurons and everything else, Sauron could theoretically walk around without a head and be doing everything that, you know, an elf or human could do, so I don't think that's actually a problem, I think it would be weird, and, you know, I mean, Sildur would basically have to lop off his head when he's dead for no particular reason for that to even be relevant, whereas we do have a good reason for him to cut off the finger, it's to get the ring, so I don't think that's actually a huge problem, I think that actually still works, so I think that's why Sauron has nine fingers later is because he only had nine fingers when the Silver cut one off and that was still his body. You know, the continuity is broken in the sense that it's probably not the same material stuff that makes up his new body, but it's still the continuity of that was the body I was inhabiting and therefore it was mine, even if I wasn't inhabiting it at the time. And then, you know, I inhabit a new body and inhabit is probably the wrong word anyway, because with the Valar and Maiar, they're not in a body in a normal sense. The the Astari, the wizards, are. They are clothed in incarnate form. They are in a real body. Unlike most of the Valar and Maiar, who are just manifesting what looks like a body. It's not a real body. If you cut off Gandalf's head, he'd be dead. Because, I mean, that's... Just, He's got a real body, he's got a brain, those nerve endings gotta go somewhere to the head to get all, you know, his blood pumping, everything else. Gandalf was effectually, effectively an immortal human, I mean, with magic powers and whatever. That's not what Sauron is, he is tied to a physical form, but it's a form, it's not an actual body that he necessarily needs in the way that a human or an elf does, I don't think. Now, again, some of this is speculative, but that's why, ultimately, I think Sauron's body is what it is by force. I don't think he has the choice to regrow ten fingers in his new body, however he manifests that. I think he's stuck with the Nine in the same way that he is stuck being a dark lord who is scary and not a fair-seeming, you know, good elf-looking type of whatever that he might have appeared as to Celebrimbor and the other smiths in Eregion when he tried to get them to do a bunch of ring making, He can't change that about himself, and so I don't think he can change the nine fingers. So that's kind of my theory on why Sauron is nine-fingered, and why Morgoth, as a corollary, couldn't change the fact that he had a limp and scars on his face. So... Let me know what you think about this theory, if you think I've missed any details that are relevant, or if you can maybe even want to tackle the idea of the metaphysics behind all this. You know, whatever your thoughts are, leave them in the comments below, because this is a really fascinating topic about which we have very little information to go on. We just have a few concrete details that we can put together and see what they mean but the how the metaphysics of it works is still tricky and hard to figure out so let's you know have a conversation in the comments could be really interesting if you enjoy the video please do give it a thumbs up and share it around make sure you subscribe and hit the bell icon to make sure you catch all my future content i'm also on odyssey and rumble and have podcast versions of these as well You can find me on Twitter at JRRTLore for some occasional Tolkien-related trivia questions, and you can support me over at Patreon. Until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namadie.